Well, I'm delighted to be with you today, and uh, Hewlett has oversold, so um, I apologize in advance for that. This is a rare treat, and I'm mindful of it. It's what happens when you get old and bald and have been gone for a while. Um, and this is a real joy to be here with you. Uh, Hewlett was more than gracious. I came to South Maine in March of 2003, having finished my study for the Doctor of Ministry and just starting the project. We'd moved to a new place, and I have a very clear memory in April the chairman of the deacons sat down with me and said, you know, Steve, the church's centennial is going to be in November, and we think it'd be very well if you were Dr. Wells before then. <laughs> that left the August graduation as the only window that could make that work. And to, to meet that, I had to have everything finished by June the 1st. So I preached old sermons and taught old Bible studies on Sunday and Wednesday and worked about 40 hours a week just writing. And I would write from 8 to 5 and then email Hewlett. Uh, and by 9 or 10 o'clock or sometimes by 6 o'clock the next morning, he would send me revisions. And we did that six days a week uh, for six weeks to get my project finished on time. So when he says, I set a high bar, what he means is he set a high bar and kept expecting me to jump over it. Um, and I wouldn't have finished without that kind of grace from him. And I am ever and profoundly grateful to you for that. Uh, and these are remarkably good days at the seminary. I'm so excited about Todd's new leadership. Uh, I have been with Todd to the Holy Land uh, and uh, also to Jerusalem. Uh, and Galilee, the Holy Land, I think, of McLean Stadium. Um, uh, and to Greece and Turkey, and we're going to take a trip in the spring, and it's just been an incredible joy to walk with him as his career has progressed here and to think about the future of Truett under his leadership, which I just think is as bright as the God who gave birth to us, and that's tremendously exciting. Uh, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm preaching a used sermon for you. Uh, that's what Todd asked me to do. So uh, when last week I had to send a text in, uh, what I did was just send them the text that I had most recently preached at South Main. Uh, I've started a series on Jonah, and I thought it'd be good for y'all. I want to think with you about calling. And I'd done all my study. I have really good notes on Jonah, and I went to Joel Gregory's website, and he has a, a series on Jonah. So I thought, oh, I'll listen to Joel's sermons because, you know, I like to be depressed. Um, <laughs> um, and I was pleased he and I were going in different directions, but his were just so much, I mean, you know what that's like, right? You hear Gregory preach and you think, his, yeah. So, I, so I, we got to have supper last night and I said, you know, Joel, I just want you to know how grateful I am. And we were going in different directions, but I've gotten some great illustrations from you and some really wonderful turns of phrase. They're just so much better than I could ever do. And he said, oh, those old things? No, no, no. I've got a new series on Jonah that's so much better than those. So he did bring me copies of them. So um, I will work on those. Um, and thank you. Uh, and Brian and Carrie, it's good to be here with y'all. We have formed and shaped and prayed for each other. And uh, thanks for being here today. I, I, I want to think with you about the nature of calling. Uh, what does it mean to be called by God into the ministry? Uh, when I graduated from Truett, uh, Missy and I were called to First Baptist Church, Marks, Mississippi. It's a county seat church. 
uh, First Baptist County Seat Church in the Mississippi Delta, a town of 1,500, a county of less than 10,000. Uh, it is uh, 10 hours east of here and 50 years behind here in some ways. Um, in 2013, the youth from our church went to Shaw, Mississippi, to Delta Hands of Hope, and participated in the first racially integrated vacation Bible school in the history of Shaw, Mississippi, 2013. Uh, we had it at the Methodist Church because the Baptist Church in Shaw, Mississippi would not host a racially integrated event. It's the world we live in, right? Those folks need the gospel too. The people in Marks, Mississippi taught me how to be a pastor. Uh, when I was at Truett, there were folks here who said, you're going to be the pastor of an urban church, a multi-staff church in an urban setting. You need to get experience for that and go to that kind of place. And I will tell you, I worked really hard and secured interviews at those kinds of churches and got called to none of them. And lo and behold, this little church in a place that we didn't know anything about invited us to go. And when we went, we thought, well, the Holy Spirit's been asking us to go, so we went. And God taught us a lot about ministry there. And put people in our lives that we love deeply to this very day. And while I was there, we had occasion to call a minister of music and youth. That was long before Truett had the MDiv MM program, which is awesome. So I had to look other places to find somebody who might come join us. And I would call people and say, I, I got your resume from this person or that person, and I'd like to talk to you about a position here. And they'd say, well, I, I don't really want to be in a town that size. Uh, or I, I don't want to live so far away from my family, which, you know, if you go work for KPMG, I think that's fine. But if you go work for the kingdom of God, I'm not sure you get to ask those kinds of questions. So what does it mean to be called of God to the kingdom of God and to serve his people? And to think about that with you, what I want to do is turn to Jonah. It's a tiny little book. It's like two pages. It's four chapters. It's 48 verses. You can read the whole thing out loud in about 10 minutes. And the danger is that we heard it when we were children, right? And so when I say Jonah, you think, and the? And the danger is that we will be so engaged. Yeah, somebody's been studying. Um, <laughs> the danger is we will be so engaged in the drama that takes place inside the fish that we miss the drama that takes place inside of Jonah. And I want us to think about the drama that takes place inside of Jonah. We get hung up on the fish. People ask, was Jonah really inside the fish? Uh, there's a great story about Carl Bart was teaching a seminary class on the minor prophets. And one of the students asked, uh, Professor Bart, was, was Jonah really inside the whale? I mean, how could he keep the passage of time inside a whale to know that it had been three days? H how could he breathe? And Bart said, I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'll ask him. And the student, kind of impertinent, said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? He said, then you ask it. <laughs> I'm just saying we can get focused on the wrong thing if we're not careful. Jonah is not about the whale. Hear me. I believe that God created everything out of nothing with a word. And I believe that God literally actually, historically, bodily, raised Jesus from the dead on the third day. So, if you believe in creation, and you believe in resurrection, let's not let transportation be the thing that trips us up. 
Maybe Jonah was actually inside the whale. Jesus seems to think so. In Matthew, 10, in Matthew 12, he says, you're looking for a sign, and the only sign you're going to get is the same one that the people in Nineveh got, that Jonah was three days inside the belly of the whale, and I'll be three days inside the belly of the earth. He seemed to say this was something that actually historically happened, and it's going to happen again. And maybe not. Uh, what I know is, what I think is, whether or not Jonah was actually inside the whale, the role that the story of Jonah plays in the Bible is not one of history, but parable. A parable is a story that's supposed to do something to us. It's a story that we get engaged in the details and we sort of lean in because it seems odd. And the more we look at the painting, suddenly it sort of starts to silver over from the back and this picture becomes a mirror and we see ourselves in a new way. A parable is a story not about something out there and back then. It's a story about here and now kind of truth and it's supposed to invite us in to hear it. After the exile, two groups began to grow up inside of Israel and they were both asking the same question. And the question was, what did we do to deserve that? And one group said, we broke the rules. We were not serious enough about the law. Maybe we said God's name out now, the wrong. maybe it's not Yahweh, maybe it's Yahoo. And we said it wrong and he's ticked about that. And so we're going to say Adonai, we're just not going to say it out loud anymore. We're going to make 613 rules to build a hedge around the law so we don't ever do that again, so that doesn't ever happen to us again. And those people become the Pharisees, and you know how that story goes. The other group said, we broke God's heart. We were supposed to be a light Unto the Gentiles. To open blind eyes and to release captives. To bring people out of darkness. And we didn't do it. And that becomes Second Isaiah. And it's the stream in which Jesus was baptized. And somewhere along the way, folks in that second group took the story of the life of Jonah and fashioned it into a parable to convert the first group. And it still has the ability to convert us today. You remember the story of the prodigal son? At the end of the parable, the band is playing and the party's going and the father's inviting and there's the elder brother and the Pharisees have to decide, would I go into a party like that? And then we have to decide that too. At the end of the book of Jonah... Revival's breaking out and the city needs a preacher. And there's Jonah up on the hillside looking down and pouting. And he's got to decide, would I go minister to a people like that? And when you think about it that way, Jonah is closer to the heart of the New Testament than perhaps any book in the Old Testament. It has the strongest message about the universal compassion of the God who created everything out of nothing with a word in the Old Testament. And the key is in the last line of the book. Nineveh is a city with 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left. That's a cute way of saying children, right? That's who doesn't know their right hand from the left. Or Aggies, one of the two. Um, 120,000 children. And should I not have compassion on that great 
city. Should he? Jonah is a book not about a whale, really not even so much about a prophet. It's about the God who sends out his people, who wants his grace and his love known to the ends of the earth. It's a book about who are God's people. And the punchline, in case you missed it, is every person who was ever born is a beloved child of God. So if you think about it that way, let's hear just the beginning of it together. If you have a copy of the scripture, if you open it to Jonah chapter 1, we're just going to look at the first three verses. Some of you are going to open books and some of you are going to get on your phones and I trust you're not doing email. Um, Jonah chapter 1 beginning in verse 1 and there the scripture says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amity. Arise and go to that great city, to Nineveh, and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and went to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa and found a ship bound for that port. And when he paid his fare, he went on board and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So, God sends Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah is clear about the call, and he goes to Tarshish. If you knew God was calling you to go somewhere, why would you go anywhere else? It helps to know a little bit about Nineveh to answer that. You know, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, it's northeast of Judah and Israel. It is present day Mosul, Iraq. Now, it is an ancient city. If you have a photographic memory or access to accordance and can search Nineveh, uh, you'll find the first time it occurs in the scripture is in Genesis chapter 10, verse 1, where it says that Nineveh was founded by a warrior named Cush. And it seems to always have been a warring city. By the time of by Jonah's time, Nineveh is at the zenith of its power, and they are known around that part of the world for an inhuman kind of warfare that they practiced. And we know because they left us a record. After they defeated the city, they made these big sort of clay cylinders, and they would take some of the vanquished from the city and put them inside the cylinders, so they died a slow death in there. They took other people who were vanquished from the city, and they flayed their skin from their bodies and put it on the outside of the cylinders in case you thought they weren't bad enough. They exercised a kind of scorched earth policy. They raped women and children, and they enslaved everybody else, and they slaughtered the animals. If you think ISIS on a bad day... You're not far off from ancient Nineveh. ISIS on a bad day in Mosul, Iraq, where ISIS has a stronghold today. So think about it in those terms. If I came to you, you don't, you don't know me from anybody else, and I said, it's a really interesting that's happened to me. I'm a pastor down in Houston, but when I was driving up from Houston to Waco yesterday, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to go to Mosul And I want you to preach to ISIS. I want you to start on one side of town and walk through Mosul and declare out loud, you people need to repent. You're living your lives wrong. You need to believe that Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ is Lord. How's that sound to you? 
Anybody going to choose that as your mission field? Anybody think revival's going to break out while I'm there? Anybody think you're seeing me for the last time? Not much has changed in Mosul, Iraq in 24 years, 2400 years. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah, it was that dramatic, that contemporary, and that terrifying. I think I'd have booked passage to Tarshish too. The thing is, I would book passage to Tarshish because I would be afraid of the bad thing that those people would do to me. And I don't think that's why Jonah booked passage. I don't think he was afraid of the bad thing they would do to him. I think he was afraid of the good things God would do to them. At the end of the book, in chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah's up on the mountainside, remember, and revival's breaking out down in the city. And Jonah says to God, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when we were back at home? We apparently didn't get that conversation in chapter 1. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. Because I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in chesed. A God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah was afraid he'd succeed. Their inhumanity has taken away his humanity and he doesn't want anything good to come to them. It wasn't that he was afraid something bad would happen to him. He was afraid something good would happen to them. Why does that matter? Because if we would quit playing school for just a minute and be honest about it, all of us have somebody that we don't like. All of us have somebody we don't want to sit in church with or we don't want to serve in church with or we don't want to be a part of that kind of church or that kind of place. All of us have somebody that for us, those are the Ninevites. Some group of people or some set of persons who represent for us through our history or association with them, through our prejudices or our fears, we have decided that God does not or should not love them. Can you get a picture in your mind? Go ahead, just take a minute. Who do you disdain? Who are the most despicable people on earth? Is there some race of people? Or people who are from some place? Or who hold some sexual orientation? Or subscribe to some political part, uh, point of view. And you just think you can't be like that and be Christian. Who is the opposite of everything you know to be good and right and true? And ask yourself, what would I do if I came to understand that God loves them as much as God loves me. And that God wants me to do something with my life so that I can get close enough to them that they can hear a reconciling word from me so that they can build a relationship with God. And that means I have to get to know them well enough that they'll listen to me, which usually means I have to listen to them first because I want them to repent and be saved. I want something good to happen to them. The more honest you are about who those folks are, the more sense it's going to make why Jonah did 
what he did. Deep inside, Jonah did not believe that he could count on God to destroy the people he hated. He knows God is a God who relents when people repent. And he is terrified that God is going to forgive the people that he doesn't want to be forgiven. So he quits. He heads to Tarshish. He said, I'll go anywhere else. And you know, you can take my word for it if you don't. Tarshish is biblical shorthand for anywhere else. He says he fled from the Lord. Now, uh, you can read commentaries written in the 50s that say that Jonah thought that, God, that, that Yahweh was a localized deity and he was trying to get to some place. I don't buy that. Do you? Uh, I think, and I stole this from Joel Gregory, uh, that Jonah was with the psalmist who asked God in prayer, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I rise up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, there you are. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, hide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Jonah doesn't think he can get away from God. He just doesn't want to be a part of what God might do in the world. If God's going to do it to the folks, he doesn't want it done for. He'd rather resign than be a part of a terrorist reprisal or a godly revival. So he runs, which is irrational. And haven't we done that? Even this week, God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Jesus sent us to our neighbors. How's that working for you? If you knew God was sending you to Nineveh, why would you go anywhere else? We hear Jesus send us to our neighbors. And we don't go. And yet the scripture makes clear that God is planning, desires, wants to give us the grace of his kingdom coming and his will being done through us as it is in heaven. He wants his name and his love to extend to the ends of the earth. Two pages, four chapters, 48 verses. You can read it in 10 minutes. And if you do, you will discover in the course of the letter, God is going to send a word, a prophet, a storm, a fish, a wind, a plant, and a worm. And only one of them is going to disobey him. It's a great story from the early life of the church. A little after 1000 AD, King Henry III of Bavaria felt heavy the weight of the crown Decided he didn't want to be king anymore. He was going to renounce his throne and take on holy orders. So he goes to the local monastery in town where the leader of the community there is Prior Richard. Prior Richard's anxious because the king has come to see him. And bad things can come out of that, as you know, if you read any kind of history. The king said, I want to become a monk. I want to join your order. And Prior Richard said, Your Majesty, you know, this is a community built on obedience. Uh, And that's going to be hard for you because your whole life other people have done what you wanted. And here you'll have to obey someone else. 
And King Henry said, I understand that. And from this day forward, I will be obedient unto you as Christ leads you. Prior Richard said, then I know the first thing you have to do. Go back to your throne. And serve faithfully in the place where God has already placed you. When he died, the kingdom said, and it was written on his tombstone, the king learned to rule when he learned to obey. I don't know what God's going to ask you to do. You may not have to go to Nineveh. If you follow Jesus Christ, you have to go to the Ninevites. Well, would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, your love came to us when we did not deserve it. And your call came to us for reasons mysterious to us. Today we ask you, give us the courage to hear and to heed. The power of your love made manifest through Jesus Christ. We ask that you would make us less of what we used to be and more of what we ought to be. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said...